Dear God, please bless all the people in this room today, whether they be old or young, because we know you have the power and strength. We need to learn your ways, so teach them to us, so that we can walk in your truth without hesitation, so that we all can have an undivided heart. Please cleanse all of us for anything and everything, so please remove all that is blocking us from receiving your love, God. You are the light for our darkness, the hope for our despair, the joy for our sorrow, the strength for our weakness, the wisdom for our confusion, and the love for our hates. So we thank you, God, and I pray for the service today and that your word flows through Jared this morning to bring new understanding to everyone who cares to listen. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you for your word, the amazing gift that we have in this word, Lord. We just really thank you for it, Father. And um, and these words, Father, are life, Lord. And your words are truth. And uh, it's amazing that when we choose to live it out, Father, partner with what you want to do cooperate with the good work of what you want to do, Lord. Just come alongside bringing your kingdom here, Lord. It's amazing how profound and life-changing and supernatural your good news of truth is, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, that we have copies of it. We have an abundance of it, Father, here in the West. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't have uh, anemic Christians, Lord. Such an abundance of the word, Father. Man, we just... We can feast, Lord. We can feast, Lord. And not just to gain more knowledge, Father, but to encourage the transformation process, Lord, and better understand your heart towards us, Father. we just thank you for your word, Lord. For your written word, for your spoken word. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, it's crazy to think about, right? We just have the Bible, an abundance of it. So many translations. Um, it's digital. It's like hard copy. It's everywhere. Everywhere. And you would think probably national reasoning would go, man, with such an abundance, man, in the West, there just must be an amazing, confident, and just identity-strong church with all that word. Right? Hopefully we're in that category. And if not, the good news is no better time to start then right now. Right? None of that time is wasted. None of it is wasted. Um, you know, we're going to look at a passage today here in 1 Samuel 16. And part of the passage, you know, we're going to look at, I, re- I remember reading so long ago. You know what? I'm so grateful that um, my family has lots of dysfunction in it. My immediate family and uh you know, the family that, I call it the redeeming family that God has brought in, Keith and his family. And, uh, you know, it's just all jacked up pretty much all the way around. Kind of like most families, you know? It's 
a lot of dysfunction, all kinds of craziness happening and just stuff going on. And um, for whatever reason, I'm just really glad that part of his truth got through to me at an early age of, you know, just reading in prayer. Just reading in prayer. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's helped so much, built so much confidence in who God is and who, what his nature is. And so I, 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 I don't, I have, certainly have questions because he's inexhaustible and there's so much and there, there's, there's so much to who he is, obviously. But, uh, man, it really helps knowing like what his heart is about when you like grab hold of it. It's so, like, so, life is so much different when you understand the heart of behind who wrote all of it. Otherwise, a lot of it is very confusing. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know. But when you know the heart behind this and who put it down and just the story involved, it's like, man, it's amazing. It changes everything. Um, and part of this passage, you know, we're going to get to in a minute, I was like, oh, God, what is the deal with this? How could you let this happen? Is this the way you operate? This seems to be opposite of who you are. And so uh, I really enjoyed spending some, some Bible study you know, with God, led by the Spirit, just digging into stuff. Like, oh yeah, I remember reading that. How come I didn't remember you know, stuff that happened in there? Um, so it was fun doing that. And um, what I wanted to do, our focus for today, you can obviously tell that it says 1 Samuel 16. And we were in 1 Samuel 16 last week, right? And last week we did the first 13 verses. And the idea this week is we're going to do <coughs> the, last, uh, the last nine or so. But there was one part that I felt like um, yeah, we didn't really quite get to. I didn't think really well. And it's a pretty important topic when it comes to the Bible and what happens as far as in God's kingdom and how he works. And the topic that we didn't really talk a lot about, which is the title of the message last week, and it is this week, this is just part two. I didn't have another creative word, so I just used the same one from last week, and I just said, throw a part two in there, that's fine. But the term anointed, ever say anointed? Anointed, that's very much like a church word. You know, like you won't hear that really anywhere else. And um, you won't even really hear it in other religions. It, it really has a unique terminology to Christianity. And it, it's kind of fascinating and interesting to look at. And it's not like it just died off and stayed in the Old Testament. It's also very prevalent in the New Testament. Um, because I think that everybody in the room hopefully knows that, right, we live in the New Testament under Jesus Christ, who's already saved us from our sins. He's gone to the cross, right? He's paid the price. The Holy Spirit comes, live inside of the believer. And that's the New Testament, right? Old Testament didn't happen that way. So... I wanted to look a little bit more at this idea of anointing and what it's about, where it comes from, why it matters to us. And uh, then there's a couple other things I wanted to get to because there's a part in here, like I said before, that, God, you, you did that? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like you. I'm always intrigued by those parts of the Bible, so it always causes me to dig deeper. And uh, I just want to encourage you on one other note, too. As far as Bible reading goes, I don't even know why we're talking about it, but I guess we are. As far as Bible reading goes, Google is not your best friend. Okay? It can be a help. It is intended, 
Um, that we, it says in John that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You gotta give time for the Holy Spirit to teach you. You're gonna be flipping through your Bible. You're gonna be like struggling through passages. You're just like, I don't get it. Maybe it doesn't make sense, or that seems so random, seems so bizarre. The idea is we're not going to pick up everything right away and it just won't come naturally. You have to really just sit with the Holy Spirit and just kind of wrestle through things sometimes. That was actually a good chunk of my week this past week because you know, I was just like wrestling. Just like, ah, I'm flipping through stuff, reading stuff. Does that mean that I did not use Google at all this week? No, I did use Google. But I used it in a very specific way to look up passages and information I was already wrestling with God with about. I don't mind so much hearing about what other people think, but not before I feel like I heard something from what God thinks. You with me on that? Like, it's super important to hear the Holy Spirit's voice and what we think He's ministering to our hearts and be like, okay, I think this is really from the Lord. I think He's speaking to my heart. Let me make sure I'm just not making things up. Because I think all of us know we can convince ourselves of pretty much anything. Especially if we're by ourselves a little bit. We don't include people in things. I can pretty much convince myself of a lot of stuff. This just whole mind battle just goes on all the time. It's like a lot of people. You just convince yourself of things. But we give room for the Holy Spirit. Let Him speak to us. You know, then maybe, hey, you know, check some things out. Read around a little bit somewhere. Ask some other people. It does sound like work, and it is like work. Just kind of the way it happens. All right? So, let's dig in. And we're going to pick up in verse... Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Okay, I know it says 14 in your bulletin. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Because there's a key concept, at least behind this passage and some other passages, when it talks about anointing. And I want to make sure that we hit on that and that we talk about it. Okay? So verse 12, here's what it says. So he sent and had him brought in the he is David's dad. It would say Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. So his dad. Uh, there was a meeting with the brothers. The next king of Israel is going to be chosen and picked. This was the reason for the family meeting. And one of the sons was not invited. Because he was out. He's like 13. He's young. 13, 14. Like we referenced to Ian before. That's a good age rate right there. And he's out taking care of the sheep, just doing what he's got to do. So he's not at the meeting. But God re- said no. Not that he rejected the people. He just rejected the calling of kingship in his brothers. You hear what I'm saying? He just rejected the calling on their life to fulfill this sort of kingship. So Samuel said, hey, go get the younger one that's watching the sheep. So he sent, had him brought in. He was ruddy. He's like a redhead. A lot of people call him a ginger. You know what I'm saying? Like, ruddy. Fine appearance, handsome features. So he's kind of a good-looking kid, but nothing super kingly or anything about him. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Or say, anoint. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power, Samuel then went to Ramah. 
so we have this situation where God says, boom, this is the one. I'm sure Sam is like, this teenager? Like, this sort of, he's kind of going kid, but, you know, king of the nation right now. He says, yup, this is it. And so he takes, right, Sam took the horn. They have, like, these ram's horns. And uh, they'd have it, you know, filled with this oil. And what they would do is they, um, you know, in the Hebrew, it talks about smearing and smudging and, like, wiping it all over them. And that's, like, the, the reason for doing that was to signify and show that this is who God has chosen. This is who God has chosen for this work. And so Samuel did that. And it says, in that moment, very interesting, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power as soon as that happened. Which is very interesting. Again, we live in the New Testament. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in your heart and in your life. Boom, like that. And some people know it and they feel it right away. They get maybe goosebumps. They might see a vision. They might have some sort of like physical thing manifest in their body. They might feel like me, absolutely nothing. I felt, I was wet. That's what I felt. When I got baptized, you know, I get my life, I just felt wet. And I said the prayers like I said a prayer. I don't know, nothing felt funny or anything. But that's New Testament. Old Testament, what happened is the Holy Spirit would come upon people. It would come upon people, come upon people at certain times or certain things. And if you remember, for Saul, the guy who David is going to replace, the Holy Spirit came upon him several times where he was, the Bible calls it, prophesying with the prophets. And he was saying things. He didn't even know what he was saying. Uh, in another instance, he made a really great military move and won a great victory when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Unfortunately, what happened with Saul is that he didn't build his life in such a way to be obedient and to keep the Spirit there. He only sort of happened to be really obedient, did really well at a couple of moments in time, and that was it. And unfortunately, as a king, he chose to make most of his, everybody say most. Yeah, not everything. But he chose to make most of his moves and most of his judgments and callings apart from God's wisdom, apart from God's guidance, apart from God's word. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. And we're going to find in verse 14 that God actually took the spirit away from him sad day. Sad day. But here's one thing I just wanted to draw to your attention. This idea of anointing, first time it ever happens, pretty interesting in the Bible, uh, is in Genesis. And it wasn't a person, it was a rock. And uh, we can turn there real fast. If you want, if you got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can just listen. Um, Genesis 28. Genesis 28, verse 16. Jacob was asleep. He said he awoke from his sleep. He had a vision from the Lord. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. Anybody ever feel that way sometimes? Yeah, like a lot of times he's here and you won't feel goosebumps. Like you won't feel or sense anything. And God's saying, of course I'm here. I told you in your word that I'm here. I'm, I'm everywhere. 
Especially where two or three gathered in my name, man, I'm definitely there. Like, I'm there. And so often we're like, well, I need to feel you, I need to see you. And I don't think it's wrong to ask God for those things, but I think it would be wrong to continually stay in the place to where only if you feel it, then you act like he's there. Because if we get to that place, then that comes at the cost of not believing in faith where he said to begin with that he always already is. See what I'm saying? Because then it can just make us like a sensual, not sexual, but sensual, feeling-based type of Christian. So only when I feel God do I really move and do something. Only when I feel Him. Only when I got the whatevers. And unless God gives me the whatevers, I don't really move or do much. That's, that's dangerous territory. So Jacob woke up and he's like, man, God is really here. I didn't even know it. And uh, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So he's like all geeked up right now about what happened. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar. He poured what? Yeah, he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So that's the first time ever you see like this idea of anointing, and it wasn't even a person. There's a rock. And the reason why they did it he did it because it was special. It was unique. It was like something he'd never experienced. He said, man, i got to somehow, somehow signify this. And what he chose to do is, man, he just he anointed that right there. Boom. That's why a lot of times people move into a house or an apartment or you know, a new car or whatever. Um, you know, I get uh, asked frequently, you know, come to the house. Let's pray over it. You know, anoint it. You know, uh, some people get kind of crazy with stuff, but... They want all kinds of different strange things. Like, I don't know, that seems kind of strange, but I would definitely pray in your home, like, let's anoint it and give it over to the Lord, all this other stuff. No. But the idea being is that there's a recognition that, hey, this belongs to the Lord. He gave it to me. This is special. I want to use it for His glory. The things that happen here, I want it to honor Him. I want His favor to rest here. When people come in, may they be ministered to, right? The first time a person is anointed with oil is when God chose a particular a group of uh, Hebrews and Israelites to be priests, to minister before him. And the very first one was Moses' uh, brother Aaron. And uh, Aaron took up the role as a Levite. I would say Levite. Yeah, and these Levites, they were priests for the Hebrews. And so they really had a special job. And so uh, God told Moses, hey, Anoint him, anoint them. Everybody knows, again, Old Testament, that those priests, they're set up so that way I can communicate with my people. So you see this idea of them having to go through the priests. Again, New Testament, we don't, right? We can just go right, right to the source, right to the Father. Right? Don't have to. It's always good, the Bible's pretty clear, about confessing your sins one to another, uh, about praying together, but as far as needing a priest or a pastor or somebody else to do a prayer for you so God hears it, that's bogus, right? That's a lie. Not true at all. We have access, and we're encouraged to use that access. And then all through the Old Testament, there's all these different anointings that happen, and we stumble upon this one here. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus himself was anointed. If you remember, a um, woman had really expensive perfume. She saved. Probably has like a dowry, you know, um, to get 
get married, and she took all of that, and she just cracked off the top, and uh, just all over Jesus' feet, used her hair to dry off his feet, and Jesus uh, called that, he said, hey, I'm getting anointed right now, like there's a mark on my life for what I'm about to do and what God sent me here to do, right, then further in the New Testament, turn to 1 John. I want you to see 1 John here. First John chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it. Verses 20 and 27. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20 says, But you, he's writing to Christians. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Skip to verse 27. It says this, As for you, the anointing you received from Him, that would be Jesus, remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just that it has taught you, remain in Him. So the New Testament, here's a problem that like uh, non-denominational churches, Catholic churches, um, could have happened in any setting. There can be this problem of like, there's like these chosen people. There's like this chosen person syndrome. And hopefully you're the chosen one. Like David, he's the chosen one. In the New Testament, there is no chosen one. It's the Christ followers. They've all inherited the anointing. We've all inherited the anointing from God to say, hey, listen, you are chosen because you have received. You've received what Jesus Christ has done, the price that he has paid. You've received that and you're anointed. You're anointed to carry out the life that I'm calling you to. So we don't need any special people. And that's why I think it's super dangerous to sometimes have like, well, they do this because they that, and they do this because they that, and they do this because they that. That doesn't play out that way in the New Testament. We're all on board. We have the Holy Spirit, and all of the Holy Spirit lives inside all of us. And so, I might, you might, have a greater anointing Maybe in certain areas where you can see that God really seems to, I don't know, he seems to be much more impactful. There just seems to be more fruit in a certain area. It just, it seems to just, I don't know, just flow differently. And people use that terminology. They have a real anointing for, fill in the blank. Man, they got an anointing to preach or they got an anointing to evangelize. They have an anointing to just really just be hospitable. They have an anointing, um, you know, with their finances whatever it might be. That's what that terminology is referring to. The truth of the matter is, all Christians are anointed. But when we're living in fellowship and relationship, partnering with the Holy Spirit, we're able to see the anointing that's on our lives that God wants to breathe life into and reveal Himself through. Is it making sense? So, I don't know, hopefully it encourages your heart a little bit. It encourages my heart a lot of bit 
to know that I've been anointed, I mean, not only do I get eternal life from Jesus, I get an abundant life that he talks about. And then he promises to do all the heavy lifting by anointing me, by equipping me, by strengthening me. It's just, it's crazy, the package deal that comes through Jesus Christ. So much more than just a get-out-of-hell card. Right? And it's a shame to reduce it down to that, you know? So I hope that's by in no way completely exhaustive study on anointing. It's just a little little something. You might want to dig in, maybe if you're interested. But I felt like I would have done the word like a disservice if we get to this amazing part where a very important part of God's, let's say, currency and his kingdom operates. And we sort of just kind of like glance over it. So I just wanted to make sure that we talked about it a little bit. And to have an understanding that we all stand with an anointing on our lives. And it's really up to us to partner with that. And to allow God to flow through that in our lives. In other words, God is going to bring us to an understanding of where he's really anointed some areas of our life. That wouldn't be cocky or or arrogant to say, you know what, I have a real anointing in my life for blank. God has touched my life in a special way for me to be used like blank. It'd be good for us to know that, don't you think? Walk around with some confidence in the marriage, like, man, God is just really anointed. And a lot of times it's easier for us to see it in others because we have hang-ups and we have problems with our own identity and with our own personality. And God wants to make us clean of that. Because we've got to walk healthy and confident in who we are. And so I think it's good for us to know, hey, listen, there's a real anointing on my life here. I need to really invest there. Learn more. Grow there. Now, with that whole anointing conversation, kind of, at least there, I want you to think about this part. David himself, okay, he just got anointed 13, 14 years old. He did not become king the next day. It didn't happen. He didn't become king the next day. He didn't become king the next day after that. Other interesting thing, he got anointed two more times. So he got anointed a total of three times. So it wasn't like a one-shot deal. So the thing that all of this is kind of interesting to me. He gets anointed. It's, it's a pretty intense moment. He goes right back to watching sheep. Went right back to his day job. And he was just told he's now king of the nation. I mean, just anointed, proclaimed on his life. Power is just given to him. Boom. Get back to your cubicle, kid. Why? Not time yet. Everybody say time. Not time yet. His job would change a little bit, like we're going to read. He's, he gets invited into the kingdom. He gets invited to play some music, which we're going to read about. But he by no means stepped into the calling that was just displayed on his life. 
doing things in God's timing is super important. You can't rush it. Especially when it comes to this anointing issue. It happens a lot in churches. People are like, well, I'm anointed to do this. Can't you see that? I am anointed. My mom has said so. My cousins have seen it. I have done da 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 da. Can't you see that I am anointed to like? And it very well may be true. I mean, they could be full of nonsense, you know, but let's just assume it's true. Maybe they are anointed. No doubt about it. It's also important that the anointing matches up with the character development and with the people around the anointing happens. You can be anointed all you want. But it has to be like recognized and developed and you have to win some battles and go through some trials and have some losses and struggle through some things before we might actually see or experience some kind of anointing that's on somebody's life. So when, especially when it comes to ministry and it comes to serving other people, and that's how you lead, by the way, is by serving. When it comes to serving other people and leading that way, it's like of the utmost importance to let God have His time to do the work that needs to be done. The anointing could definitely be there. But God has to put us around people that like recognize it, that see it, where they've seen like the Lord grow and be productive and be fruitful. So when there's anointing, um, waiting is not too far behind. Because a lot of times you just get excited. Oh, I see it. I got the gifts. I got these tools to do this. I can do that. I can do that. And so that doesn't mean God would just all of a sudden usher us into some position that we think is prominent or what we should be. Okay, that is the deal. But we're going to take our time now because there's some things that we still got to work out. Um, It's interesting that once David does become king, and by the way, he got anointed here, 15 years later did he actually become a king. And that was only part of Israel. He'd have to wait another 17 years to become king over the entire thing because Israel is divided up. They had to wait a long time. Everybody say a long time. Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. But that's the truth. He had to wait a while. So he gets the anointing, 13, 14, boom, the Spirit comes on him in power, boom. And when we doing this, Lord, because you just said it, so it's like, man, just be faithful in the assignment that I called you to. Take care of it. So for a lot of us, it's like, okay, be faithful. Small thing. Just praying for people around you. Boom. Just be faithful in that. Boom. Be faithful killing it in Sunday school. Be faithful in doing that small group thing. Right? Be faithful whatever it is. Just be faithful in it. The anointing is there. God's going to do something. Man, just be faithful in it. It's been like six months. Or maybe it's been more like this. so important for us to not get ahead of what God is doing so we can actually be in a position to handle what he's going to bring about. Because I think, well, maybe you don't know, when David became king, those 15 years didn't exactly cure him from all bad decision making. He still made some pretty significant problems and issues. 
but at least they didn't bury him. He still came back to the Lord. Made him suffer, though. He wasn't a great father. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was a pretty good, like, leader for the nation, but he wasn't a good dad. So even he, man after God's own heart, I mean, didn't have a purpose at all. So there's this idea between anointing, waiting, and being faithful. Alright? Okay, so here we go. That's a lot to say on two verses, right? Verse 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit or an injurious spirit or something that caused harm to himself tormented him okay so we're going to stop there alright spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul spirit of the Lord came to who yeah it came to David right which read in 13 like that spirit of the Lord needed to lead uh, to empower to just give what the nation needed left Saul God said hey like I gave you a great shot. Like, we went after this thing, and you, you, you made it clear. You don't want to do things the way I want to do it. You made it so clear. By saying no, by saying no, by saying no, by saying wait, by saying maybe, by not following through all the way with what I asked you to do. God's like, man, you're saying no to that. I need somebody who's going to lead my people who I love to be with me. So Spirit leaves. And then, right, goes to David. Then it says evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So I wrestled with that a lot this week. I think I remember doing it before, but I don't actually even remember like the conclusion that it came to. So I guess that study wasn't that effective. But there's this idea, so, this, so God sends an evil spirit to torment this guy Saul. Number one, what does God... How can that be said in the Bible? Maybe there's a translation error. Maybe it doesn't really say that. Because would God send a spirit to torment somebody? I'll tell you what. There's no translation error. I can assure you of that. And the reality is... Let me, let me start with this. And I wrote this down so I wouldn't get it wrong. You might want to write it down now. It might make more sense later. Maybe not even tomorrow, but maybe six months from now. God is using all things to accomplish his purposes. God will use all things to accomplish his purposes. All things. Including the devil, the enemy, and Satan. To accomplish his purposes. I don't know how many people heard, but um, so when we had the 4th of July, our dog, Duchess, right? And she got out the house. Wasn't a good situation. She's pretty good usually when she gets outside, actually. She's really good. She listens really well. I mean, but we're shooting off fireworks in the driveway. Yeah, freaked her out. She took off. It was like we combed the neighborhood just uh, at least for a couple hours. I mean, just walking everywhere, just going around, you know, trying to find it. Eventually, thank God, somebody found her, brought her, um, 
the police station. She was in a little doggy jail. <laughs> the one criminal in our family who spent jail time, you know. <laughs> a little Dutch. Oh, man, that was funny. Thank God we got her back, man. That was, that, that was not a fun time. But the idea, I tell that to you because, um, like, I didn't actively, I didn't say, hey, listen, Duchess, come outside with us, boom, we're going to shoot fireworks off. In fact, I was trying to keep her inside. But there's a few of us in the house, and the kids were involved, so I don't know how she got out. Somehow she got out. Somebody opened the door, boom, she took off. So I didn't actively, like, say, hey, let's go outside, let's, you know, go do whatever. But I didn't keep as close of an eye on her as I should have. And so passively, let me say passively, Passively, I let it happen, right? Like, if I was really watching closely, especially if the fireworks going off, something in my branch would have been like, hey, fireworks, dog, like, just be sure. Didn't happen. Okay. But I didn't lose a kid, so that was pretty good, I thought. Um, but passively, I let her go. So actively, I wasn't doing it that way, but passively, I was. And I give you this idea and this contract of active versus passive because I think that God sending an evil spirit. Did he actively say, listen, hey, I'm going to go send evil their way to torment. But if he allows it, like if he could stop it, he could stop it, right? Like if he's God, he could stop it. So if he allowed it to happen, technically it's on his watch. Like he's responsible for that. Now, yes. No, go ahead, what do you got? So, I mean, so we can't ignore life experiences, right? I mean, stuff happens, we perceive it a certain way. And sometimes our perception is right on the money, like super accurate. Like the way we're seeing it, the way we're feeling it, it actually did happen that way. For a lot of us, our perception is not always totally that accurate. What we see, what we feel, what happens is not always exactly the way it played out. Um, so, our approach, you know, is okay. That's the way I perceive that what happened. You know, so now what does, like, the Bible say about it? And how does God say that kind of stuff plays out? So does God send, you know, these evil spirits? He send things to torment us. And so that's why we're looking at that question. You know, so God, did God do it to you in that case? You know, I don't know. Um, something definitely sounds strange about it, I can tell you that. But um, in this situation, we're going to go to a passage and we're going to read it. Hopefully it might bring some clarity because here's, I think what would be helpful to all of us is 
if we had an opportunity to be like in heaven, to be like around a scenario when one of these happened, that might be helpful to us. Right? You could hear the conversation involved. Like, oh, maybe that's how that happened. Because, well, hold on. Because the other thing is that this idea of tormenting, it happens, I don't know, there's a bunch of times. I wrote down one, two, at least three other times. It happened in the Old Testament where it says that God sent an evil spirit somebody's way. So again, like, well, how, why, how come? So turn in your Bibles to First Kings, First Kings 22, right? So First Kings 22. All right, and we're going to be in First Kings 22, and we're going to look at. Um, We're going to pick up in verse 12. I just want to give you the situation real quick. The situation is, uh, remember I said Israel was divided? And uh, this was after King David. They, they like want to join together and they want to attack a particular area. And so they get all their prophets and they say, hey, listen, go do it. God's with you. Go do it. And there's one guy... And they keep, one of the kings doesn't want to hear from him because they say, listen, every time I bring this godly prophet, he always says stuff I don't want to hear. Every time. He's like, Mr. Negativity. I don't want to... To him, it's negative. But it could be truth, right? Like, sometimes we get weird. If we're, like, really defensive and we get offended, like, really well, like, it could be truth. So, like, maybe it's not so negative after all. You know, just, maybe it just hurts. So we pick up in verse 12. Um, actually, sorry, verse 10. We'll start there. It says, Dressed in the royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor. So those are two kingdoms, Israel uh, and Judah. And they're sitting by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of that guy, had made iron horns and he declared... This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans, or Syrians, until they are destroyed. So basically, these two kings are like in their royal robe. They're in this room. It's very like impressive. Lots of pomp. Like it's almost like a, I mean, you got two kings here. So it's like a presidential inauguration. Like a lot going on. It's like significant. And this guy gets out there and he gets these big, huge iron horns. Like, like, a, like a cattle or a ram or a goat. He says, hey, you're going to gore them. Um, like these type of horns and like you guys will win and be victorious. Verse 12, all the other prophets are prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hands. They're saying just go for it. And there's like 400 of them saying that. Verse 13, the messenger who had gone to summon, Micaiah said to him, look uh, as one man the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. So what they did is they sent this other guy. So one of the other kings, Jehoshaphat, he knew this guy, Micaiah. He's like, hey, listen, I hear what you guys are saying, but, you know, I kind of know who you are. So in other words, he's saying, I know who you are. Just ask this other guy real quick to see what he says, because I think he's, like, legit. So they get Micaiah, 
a servant goes to get him. He says, hey, the servant, when he goes to pick him up, he says, hey, everybody already said we're going to win. So, like, when you show up and you give a word, make sure it agrees favorably with what they said. So make sure, like, it's on point and in line. Verse 14, but Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered. For the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Verse 16, it's funny. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he could tell that Micaiah is being super sarcastic in the other two verses. Verse 17, then Micaiah answered, I saw all the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? Micah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking remote Gilead, going to his death there? Interesting situation. God is saying, hey, listen. Ahab, who is the leader, one of these kings here, God's saying, I don't like his leadership. He leads my people horribly. I'm going to remove him. I don't want to keep him there. And so God says, who will entice Ahab to draw him up there? Even though Micaiah warned him and said they're going to lose, God already knows Ahab's not interested. And this guy listening, he's not interested at all. So God is saying, hey, listen, he's not going to listen to me. Let's get somebody in there to really entice him to go in there. One suggested this, um, and another that. Look at this, verse 21. Finally, a spirit came forward. Everybody say spirit. Yeah, spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. So, you just got a glimpse into what happens in the heavenlies when God has something he wants to carry out. He wanted to remove Ahab. He's wrong for the people. He's a bad leader. He's just leading them into sin. Already his plan to remove them. But in God, there is no evil. He's not looking to set people up. And he's not looking um, to violate people's free will choice and destroy it. So he gets the evil spirits in there. Very interesting how this happens in the throne room, like in heaven. Hey, listen, you guys are liars. He's not going to follow me anyways. And I need him out. Just go lie to him. I already told him they're not going to win. So I will allow you to go deceive him, to remove him out anyways. Because the plan I have for my people, he's in the way. So do you, you hear what I'm saying? Like God uses all things to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Even the devil and the enemy himself. So then you go back to Samuel, 
1 Samuel 16, and you think about Saul, he gets his evil spirit. God sent him? <coughs> I don't know. I think probably in heaven, you know, when something down like a passively sent. Say, hey, his spirit is gone. You have the enemy around the throne. Ask God, say, hey, I want to go torment this man. I want to harass him. God says, well, he obviously, he doesn't want any part of me. Go ahead. He passively just let him go. Interesting thing is, God still put someone in place to help Saul, even if that tormenting spirit comes up. There's still a gracious side. Like, God already knows Saul wants nothing to do with him. And he's like, you know what? Still, I'm still going to try and ease his pain. Still ease his suffering. You hear, like, what kind of, like, God says? It's like crazy. So God uses all things to accomplish his purposes, even the devil, the enemy. doesn't matter. God is in supreme control. And that's why it shouldn't be all that strange to us to a lot of times see evil and things happen around us because it's, it's here. Like, it's here. We're around it. We're in it. But it's not hopeless. We know who's on the throne. So whoever becomes president, like, you know, is what it is. I have certain preferences. Other people have certain preferences. At the end of the day, the only thing that really, truly changes the globe is the church. The real question is, is the church going to step into who she's called to be and function under the leadership and the authority of Jesus Christ and who he is? That's really the real question. Because when that happens, everything changes. The entire globe. That's really the issue. So we'll finish this last part here. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. So hey, listen, you're getting tortured. Let's get some music in here. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Who do you think he's going to get? Who's the guy that just got anointed in the living room in front of his kids? Yes, he's going to get David. Like He's anointed to be king, but he's not ready to be king yet. But God, hey, I'll get you in the building. I'll get you around the man right now. You won't fulfill it. It won't be man- manifest right now, but I'm setting you up. Verse 18. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, skin of wine, a young goat, sent him with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David become one of his armor bearers. That's like an advisor, somebody close to him. So he's not king yet, right? But he's close. He's going to learn the whole system. He's like in an internship right now. Like on the job. What an amazing co-op. I'd love to know who these servants were that said, hey, yeah, like, 
this guy David? Like, who was that? Who hooked him up? So he's in the palace. He's like an advisor. He's close with the king now. Verse 22. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, <coughs> Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Verse 23. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave And that's where we're going to finish up today. So a couple things. Right, a couple things. One is the anointing. Listen, we're all anointed for what God is calling us to do. Like you're equipped, you're ready. We live in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So you are anointed and equipped to handle whatever God throws you at. And sometimes you've got to say that out loud to yourself. Where you say, I am anointed and I am equipped. I am anointed and I am equipped in Jesus' name. For any person any situation I'm anointed and equipped and Father I need you is usually not too far behind because even though we're anointed and equipped a lot of times we can't see it until by faith we just walk into it we just give up ourselves in a crazy way sometimes for a long time so this idea of anointing waiting and being faithful I think you can see the need for us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit so no other spirits can fill our mind with anything else. You see the need for that here? There are spirits that move all across this globe, all across this land, all through my home, all through your family, all through this town, and they're lying and deceiving spirits that speak things that are not true. And they distort just enough to get us off. So you see how valuable and how needed, like we need this thing here? The word is so needed. Because there's these lying and deceiving spirits all over, all over. And the other thing I hope that you pick up is that the cure that was helping Saul feel better, it was music. You know how powerful a weapon is, praise is? It can certainly be manipulated and just cause like just people to get hyped up and just get emotional, you know, like during a hockey game or basketball game or something. It can be used for that. But it can also be used as a powerful weapon to hold back the enemy and what he's trying to speak and what he's trying to bring. And then we stand in praise and we say, No, God, I love you. You're so good, Father. You own all things. You hold all things. I'm in your promises, Lord. I thank you, God. You will equip me. Thank you, Father. Right? And we stand like in praise like that. And we sing to God about that. It's one of the greatest weapons that we have as believers. And to not utilize that is great. Sometimes you're going to have your own song. You're going to make up your own words. It's all good. It's all good. Even if you don't sing that great, whatever, there's something about music and praise that holds back and strengthens us up. So I just encourage you to do it. Encourage you to do it. And a lot of our personalities are built differently. Or a lot of time we're more reserved. Or maybe we're more outgoing or whatever it is. It's important for us to be there praising. Demonstrating with our bodies. 
It does something and brings it to a new level. And the Bible is really clear that when you come into the sanctuary, raise your hand. When you're praying, it even says, it actually even refers to men, which I think is funny. Because typically the last people to raise their hands are the men. And it says, men, um, raise your hands in holy prayer. Not even during like the good worship song, but just during prayer time, just raise your hands. It's important that the truth and our praise be made manifest in our bodies and we just reflect. So sometimes you'd be on the floor, maybe on your face, sometimes maybe on the knees, sometimes hands up, sometimes the eyes closed, sometimes you do this thing, sometimes you do that thing, sometimes you do that thing. It's just, there's no formula. It's just being free enough to let the Spirit just, man, just flow through us. And it could be faked and manufactured, and a lot of times people do it for attention, and that's true. But we're not trying to go after that, you know, not trying to go after that. So let's pass this stuff out. Um, maybe, uh, E, do you mind helping me out? And, uh, yeah, Rob, do you mind? Pass out the elements. Hold on to them. We're going to take it together. But I think that whole passage and the whole situation is just kind of fascinating. pretty sad for Saul but we're excited for David and if I think I think that if he knew the road that awaited to what God wanted to do I don't know how eager he'd be, he'd be to do it because his road he'd have to wait 15 years he'd have to hide out he'd be homeless he's going to have to hide out in caves um, he's going to have like a man wanting to kill him. But that was like the way that his kingship was going to come. Thanks. Let's think about this and reflect as we take it. It says, Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, right, the night he was betrayed, that night, he was just betrayed, and trusted himself, and he was betrayed. He took bread, and he gave thanks. The night he was betrayed. People treat us unfairly, they take advantage of us, and they betray us. I'm grateful his heart wasn't so hard that he just I can't do communion right now. I'm thankful that his heart was in another place, saying, you know what? It's going to happen. It's not going to stop my faithfulness. I like that. So Lord Jesus, now he was betrayed, took bread, and had given thanks. Thank you, Lord. He broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take it when
the same way. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we take and we drink. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. God, I thank you for what you've done in our lives, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for the model that you set. An amazing, faithful, spirit-led model that you set. And that spirit that rose you from the dead lives within us. And so we're keenly aware of our inadequacies and our shortcomings, Lord. But I pray they would be more aware, be more encouraged by your strength, by your power, by your nature, by your love, Lord. We just thank you for what you've done for us. We pray against just the lying spirits that just flow around us each and every day in so many ways. I pray, Father, that we would... uh, Help ourselves out by filling ourselves up on truth, by just giving time to you, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts, to encourage us, to build us up. We pray against the lies that are being spoken to, to our own family members, the people that we love. We just intercede and we just speak truth on their behalf in Jesus' name. And we ask for the spirit of truth to come in wage war with the lies that are just around and so prevalent. We pray for the spirit of truth to come in and wage war. And I pray, Father, that as we go out, Lord, and as we offer to pray for people, Lord, that truth to come from our mouths, Lord, that we be able to impart the power of your spirit the love and your good news, Lord. And also, Father, I just pray, Lord, for this week that our hearts would just be encouraged in song, Lord. May we just uh, use a great weapon that we have, Lord, to just sing to you, Lord. Making up our own songs, Father. Singing ones that we know. Singing only two lines, maybe, if we know it, Lord. But just positioning our homes and our hearts in praise, Father to just sing about the goodness of who you are, Lord. May we do all that we can to be filled up by your Holy Spirit. And we can only pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.